Are you ready for common sense retirement planning advice? Tired of the noise coming out of mainstream financial media that doesn't always have your best interest at heart? Looking for someone who will answer the tough questions that applies to your money? Well, welcome to the Plan to Retire podcast. Hello, and welcome again to the Plan to Retire podcast. Great to have you along today. Hopefully, you're maybe sharing your ride to or from work or some of your time while you're exercising or just setting aside some time to get a little more educated on some things that are finance and fields that are related to finance. So appreciate you spending your time with us today. And today we're going to talk about insurance and we're going to chat about it. I give you a little bit of background. Of course, I come from over 30 years experience in the insurance industry, still actively hold an insurance license. So I like to consider myself somewhat of an expert, at least fairly knowledgeable about the world of insurance. And I often find a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings and certain insurance is a huge part of your financial planning and obviously a tremendous part of your retirement planning moving forward. So today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the basics of auto and home insurance. And we're going to talk about how it's structured, how the industry handles the pricing, the types of coverages that are available and give you an explanation on it. Additionally, we're going to give you some recommendations on our end from an objective financial planning perspective is how maybe you should structure your insurance appropriately. But before we jump into that real quick, I want to keep the lawyers happy and the regulators. This is not a solicitation of services. So if you are a person in one of the states that we are not authorized to do business in. And the way you would know that is if you go to plantoretire.com, bottom of the webpage, you have disclosures and ADV, and that'll show you what states we are active in the financial planning arena. And we are not soliciting you, even if you are in one of these states. This is just an educational podcast. There is no client planner relationship here simply because you listen to my podcast and any investments that may be brought up are not a recommendation for you to purchase anything. You should always do your own due diligence and research and consider if that investment is appropriate for you. So with that, let's get in and talk about the basics of insurance. First thing I want to talk about is a concept, and this is an overall understanding of insurance. I often hear a client who will say, I put all this money in over the years, and this is all I got out of it let's first back up and let's hit pause and understand how insurance is priced, how it's regulated. First, how it's priced. When I purchase an auto or homeowner's insurance policy, and that policy, if it renews February 1st of this year till February 1st of next year, I'm just simply paying for the privilege of insurance for that one year period. This is not an account that I'm investing money into and expecting a return of that money, nor a return on that investment. It's not. It's an expense. Just like if I go to the grocery store and I buy a six-pack of Diet Coke, if I've consumed those Diet Cokes, I've got something out of the money. If I didn't consume it, then I paid for something that I didn't use. Insurance is the same thing. You're paying for coverage for a period of time. Once that time passes, what you paid for ends. There is no residual value. So mentally, you want to think about this isn't a savings account where you put money in and someday you're going to withdraw it. Insurance isn't priced that way. If it was priced that way, 
what would happen to the person who pays an insurance premium and a week later totals their car? And if it's a $30,000 car, when their insurance renews, the insurance company would have to charge them $30,000 plus some profit for the last year because they just used up all their savings accounts. So understand it is priced that you're paying for coverage for a period of time. If you use the coverage during that period of time, you got something out of the insurance. If you didn't, good for you because it probably means something bad did not happen to you. So that's a good thing. So first, understand how insurance is priced. Next thing, every state regulates the insurance industry. So there is very little federal regulation of insurance. So if I'm a resident of Maryland and I have an auto insurance policy, the Maryland Insurance Commissioner's Office regulates everything that insurance company does on my policy. They set the price. They set the coverages, they set the procedures, the notice requirements, all have to follow Maryland law. I'm not regulated by regulators in the state of Florida or the state of Utah. It is no federal oversight of insurance. So understand insurance is regulated by each state. So some of these things we're also going to talk about today are a little bit different depending on what state you live in. So some coverages are just slightly different, some procedures, some pricing is just a little bit different. So understand insurance is regulated by the state and it's highly regulated. An insurance company just doesn't pull a number out of the air to say, hey, this is how much it is for your auto insurance. They actually have to file, in my case, in the state of Maryland and say, this is what we're going to charge this type of driver driving this type of vehicle with this type of coverage each year. They can't deviate from that. The only way they can deviate from that, the insurance company, is they have to file to change the rates. They just can't pick me out individually. If I have an accident and they decide to charge me a higher rate, that has to be approved and filed with the Maryland Insurance Department in advance. They just can't come up with some idea and some procedure to raise my rates without getting approved. So insurance is highly regulated by the state. Next thing to talk about is let's talk about surplus. And this is a financial term that's used in the insurance industry. There are certain years, many years, sometimes in a row, some types of insurance, some not, that the insurance company will actually make a profit. Believe it or not, that's why they're in business, to make a profit. They're not in business to not be profitable. It isn't a non-profit. They're in business to make a profit. But if there is a year that they are profitable, they take that money, a portion of that profit, and set it aside in something called policyholder surplus. What is policyholder surplus? It's when you look at a balance sheet in an insurance company, you'll see all this money they have. And you often hear terms, sometimes I hear some of the consumer advocacy groups make a comment that all the insurance companies, they're the ones with all the money. And I hear sometimes consumers say that. Well, there's a reason why they have all this money. There's these things called hurricanes, wildfires, blizzards, torrential rains, things of that nature, snowstorms, when there's mass events and there are large numbers of people who have had maybe their cars damaged or their homes damaged, that's when the insurance industry has to dip into this surplus. Think about their money. That's their like household savings account for you. Most consumers are supposed to have a household savings account. We strongly recommend three to six months of household expenses set back in an emergency fund. For an insurance company, the surplus is that emergency fund. When the wildfires come, when the hurricanes come, 
they reach into that surplus, pull that money out to pay the claims. If they did not have the surplus, they wouldn't have the ability to pay future claims when there's big catastrophes. And certainly if you look at the news, there doesn't appear to be any shortage of weather-related catastrophes that we experience. So that's kind of the basics, general how insurance is. It's not a savings account. You're paying for coverage for a period of time. Two, it is regulated by the states. Three, the surplus is there. Think of it as their insurance company's household savings account to pay your claim and make sure the money's there. So that's the basics of insurance. Now we're going to jump into a little bit here of auto and home insurance. It would probably be tremendously valuable to you right now if you'd hit the pause, go get a copy of your auto and home insurance policy, because I'm going to go through some of the coverages and what they are. And this is going to be relating to Maryland, but there's a lot of this that crosses over to other states. A lot of similarity, not exact, but 80, 90% exact. So go ahead and pause right now and go grab that policy deck sheet. Great. Hopefully you did do that. You'll get more out of this podcast. If you haven't, listen to it again with your insurance policies in front of you. But let's first talk about auto insurance. Auto insurance, we're required to carry auto insurance. It's mandatory in most states. There's a reason why none of us wants to get in an accident with people running around without auto insurance, though there are individuals who do that on a regular basis. But we wouldn't want massive amounts of people. You wouldn't imagine to be against the public good to have people out here running around in mass numbers not having auto insurance. But let's break it down, the auto insurance coverages. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the extras. We're going to talk about kind of my philosophy on where you need to be on some of these coverages and what I recommend to a lot of clients. Let's first talk about liability insurance. When you look at an automobile insurance policy, there's a thing called bodily injury. And many times you'll see it expressed as one number. It's called a combined single limit, and we'll get into that in a minute. But most of the time, bodily injury coverage is broken down into per person and per accident number. Now, first, what is bodily injury? Bodily injury means if I'm in an auto accident and it's my fault, I rear-ended somebody. That driver has whiplash. They have an injury. They're going to go to the hospital. They need medical bills paid. They may miss some work. They may have follow-up physical therapy. The money is going to come from my bodily injury per person bucket. Think of it as a different bucket. That bodily injury per person, that bucket's going to pay for their medical bills, for their lost wages, for their follow-up therapies. There's also a per accident number under your bodily injury. Let's take that example where I rear-ended somebody. Maybe there were four people in the car. Maybe I hit a car and three of the people were injured. So what would happen is none of the one individuals are going to get more for their lost wages, their medical bills, their follow-up therapies than what the per-person limit is. But the whole total of everybody, they're not going to get a total more than the aggregate per accident. You might say, well, Jeff, what happens four people were hurt, and it's well over the individual limit. Well, then they're going to take what the per accident is divided by four, and there you go. So you have a per person, and you have a per accident limit. That's why you see two numbers under bodily injury. Next thing under liability coverage, we have this thing called property damage. Now, property damage kind of speaks for itself. Property that's damaged. That person I rear-ended in that auto accident, I more than likely did some significant damage to the rear end of their car. Okay, 
that car has to get repaired. So it's the money that's used to repair that vehicle that I damaged due to my negligence. Now, interesting thing about this, it's not just the damage I caused to that car. It's also the loss of use of not having that vehicle. Let me give you a real life example. We had a client with a claim and you can imagine today how this could be magnified, especially during the holiday season. Client T-bones a UPS truck in the evening. They're on a delivery route. We have the damage to the truck in the ballpark of like $20,000, but there was a problem. That truck had packages that were damaged, but there also were packages that missed their deadline and there was a guarantee on that package to get there. So the loss of use would also include the ability for the UPS to go get a rental van, take that packages out of the damaged vehicle if they can, put it in a rental van and go drive away. It would cover the cost of that rental. So many times what will happen, this happens when you go rent a car, the rental car companies will hit you for the damage, but they hit you with a loss of use to say, hey, that car you wrecked and you rented it is damaged. We can't rent it now for 30 days. We're going to charge you all the lost revenue that we lost. So it'd be real easy to say, You might have only damaged a car $20,000 or a commercial vehicle $50,000, but maybe the loss of that company not having that commercial vehicle might be another $30,000 or $40,000 on top of what you damaged. So property damage under your liability is not only the damage you physically caused, but the loss of use of that. So kind of interesting to do it. Now, under liability coverages sometimes is this area called uninsured and underinsured motorist. Now, this varies a little bit again by states, so don't take, if you're a resident of Tennessee, and say, well, Jeff Bauer said on the plan to retire that underinsured and uninsured means this. They're slightly different in each state, but we're going to quote the general basics. Uninsured motorist and underinsured motorist also has bodily injury per person and per accident and property damage. But what that does, that actually protects you. That protects you in the event you are hit by a driver who does not have insurance or a driver who is not carrying enough insurance. The bodily injury part covers for your medical bills, lost wages, pain and suffering. The property damage helps repair your vehicle. So that's liability. That's called split limits. When they break it down to bodily injury and property damage, it's called split limits because your limit on coverage is broken down into buckets. You have the liability per person, bodily injury. You have the liability per accident under bodily injury. Then you have the property damage. There's also this thing called combined single limit. Instead of those three components being broken down individually, it's one big lump sum of money. You might say I have a half a million dollars in combined single limit. So if you're at fault in an accident, whether it's someone's medical bills, lost wages, or the everyone in the car, or the damage you did to the car, and the loss of use of their car or vehicle, there's one big pot of money you have to pay everything in that claim, and that's a half a million dollars. That's it. No real strong feelings either way, which one's better for you. If you do buy combined single limit, I usually don't recommend that you're driving around today's roads the less than half a million, and frankly, probably a million. If you're doing bodily injury, I wouldn't be caught driving around a car today less than 250000 per person and 500000 per accident, and really 250000 or 100000 for property damage. 
those are at a minimum is what I would have. I'd also recommend some coverages on top of that, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So moving on through the auto insurance, then there's this physical damage. There's coverage on your car. How do you cover your car? Well, one way is called comprehensive coverage, or sometimes insurance companies will call it other than collision. So they don't like the word comprehensive, some companies, because they feel it misleads people that it's this comprehensive, tremendous amount of coverage. So they switch to other than collision, because other than collision is pretty clear. If you're in an accident, other than a collision, it's covered under this part. So comprehensive and other than collision is where you have your windshields, your glass damage, vandalism, theft, falling object is another example. So if somebody steals your car, somebody vandalizes your car, you have your glass break, you hit an animal, it's actually covered under your comprehensive. You might say that's weird because that's a collision, but it's, it's not really, it's considered striking an object. So it's under your other than collision and under your comprehensive coverage. Next area you have is something called collision. Collision is you hit something. This is what provides you the coverage to repair your vehicle. Now, comprehensive and collision are paid out to you on what's called an actual cash value basis. Or in the industry, the slang is ACV. Well, what is ACV? If I'm driving a five-year-old Chevy Corvette, which I'm not, but if I was, they would take what it cost for a brand new Corvette and they would depreciate it on what that five-year-old vet is worth today. There's a lot of data out there. Kelly Blue Book, NADA, gosh, eBay Motors. You can go online anywhere, cars.com, and you can find out what a car is worth. That's what an insurance company owes you at the time of a loss on your vehicle. Now, if you have done upgrades to your vehicle, you might say, I just put a set of brand new tires on the car a month ago. I hope you have the receipt for that. They're probably going to give you some credit for that. You're not going to get the whole price you paid, unfortunately. You're going to get some credit for that set of brand new tires. Where it really gets a little bit crazy is for these folks who will buy a vehicle and customize it to the gills, lift kits, wheels, smokestacks, all that's great problem is whenever you do that on any kind of vehicle, that customization is not necessarily covered under your auto insurance unless you notify your insurance company and purchase some additional coverage to cover what you upgraded. And even then it may not be. So again, actual cash value means they're going to depreciate the value of your vehicle to what it's worth on the open market basically used. So that's the gist on that. Now some extras. What are some coverages maybe people should consider? There's a lot being sold today. There are a lot of ads I see on TV on this new car replacement. The insurance industry loves to tell you, well, we're going to give you a new car. We're not going to depreciate it. Now, the thing is, you really have to hit the pause button on that commercials, and you got to enlarge your screen about 10 times normal and read the white or silver or gray fine print. Did you ever notice they pick those colors because they blend into the background and you really can't read it? Most of these new car replacement coverages are only good if you purchased your car new. And they're only usually good for two or three years after you've purchased a car. You actually really have to read the details of what you're paying for. So I'm a little lukewarm on these new car replacement things. You really need to do your research and make your decision if you think it's worth for you. I wouldn't say run out there and recommend and buy it. You better make sure you know what you're buying. There's also different kinds of coverages. There's towing coverage where you may have towing available 
with your new car purchase. So don't buy it from an insurance company if your new car covers it as part of your warranty package. But also look into what each covers. You can't double dip. You can't take your Toyota that's six months old and it's covered under a Toyota's warranty because you have the maintenance agreement and then turn around and file a claim with the insurance company. They're not going to do that. Another thing is rental coverage. Big advocate of this. If you're going to pay any extra coverage on your auto insurance, this is the area where you want to do it. And what this means is if you're in an accident, this is going to give you money per day to go rent a car. Now, non-COVID times when people were actually driving to work and we didn't have a large percentage of the population working from home, that could be a real pickle for somebody. You have an auto accident and then they got to pay 50 or $80 a day out of their pocket to get a rental car. So strongly recommend you get the rental coverage. Make sure you're buying a level of coverage just and say, oh yeah, add rental. It's not like a blanket item. There's a limit. Some rental coverage gives you $25 a day. Some gives you $50 a day. And some gives you $100 a day. If you're driving a Chevy Tahoe and they're going to give you $25 a day, you're going to be really disappointed with what you're going to get in a rental car. You're not getting a Chevy Tahoe. Look at what you think you could do. I kind of recommend getting the $50 a day benefit at a minimum. I think that's a smart move. Let's jump back on the deductibles on that comprehensive and collision, kind of my recommendations. One of my basic schools of thought on insurance from a financial planning perspective is insurance is there for the catastrophes. Insurance is not there to be nickel and dime to be a maintenance policy because if you do that to your insurance policies, the insurance company is going to bite you back and they're going to raise your rates through the roof. So I usually recommend, that's one of the reasons you have that three to six months of household expenses. So if you have that auto accident, you have the money to cover your deductible. I don't personally recommend anything less than a $1,000 deductible on your comprehensive and other than collision. And I don't recommend anything less than 1000 on collision coverage. So $1,000 for each. Not a big fan of doing different deductibles for those two. I know a lot of people like to go a lower deductible and are comprehensive because they say, well, the glass breaks. I only want to pay the first 50. I just think simplicity-wise, you need to know what one deductible is. So I kind of recommend a $1,000 deductible, and that helps save you some money on the insurance cost because you're assuming a higher amount of the claims. The other thing that does is you have a little nick or ding on your car, you're not running to the insurance company getting a claim because let me tell you, you're going to end up paying a lot more in your insurance if you start dinging them with every little claim that comes around. So that's kind of a nutshell on auto insurance, kind of some of our beliefs on it. Let's jump into home insurance now. Home insurance, it's interesting. One thing to give you some overall impressions that you need to understand, the insurance industry rarely makes money in the homeowner's insurance business. In fact, I've read some reports that many companies have not made a profit on their book of homeowner's insurance business since all the way in the early 70s. Crazy. So my suspicion is we're going to continue to see homeowner's insurance rates go up. Does it take the hurricanes and the wildfires and the storms to be the sole reason? It's a tough line of business for the insurance industry. They're trying to get ahead of that with some things that they're doing. One of the things they're doing is a lot of companies have switched your deductible. Instead of you paying the first $1,000 or the first $2,500 of a claim, some of these companies have gone to a percentage deductible. And it's really crazy if you haven't read the fine print. One national carrier that I'll leave unnamed, one very large insurance company, 
few years ago did that and didn't provide a notice to their clients. They did, but the notice was buried in the insurance renewal. And what that means is if you have a half a million dollar house and you have a 2% deductible, your deductible is $10,000 per claim. So you might have thought you had the $1,000 deductible. It all of a sudden got changed to a 2%. And boy, 2% of half a million is a lot of money compared to a $1,000 deductible. So usually we see these things 2% and a 5% deductible. So be very careful what deductible you're carrying. I don't recommend you carry less than a $1,000 deductible in your homeowners. In fact, I'm a fan, many cases of $2,500 or higher, but you got to make sure you have that money set aside. Now, how is coverage applied on a homeowner's insurance? Coverage is broken down into some different parts. First part is dwelling coverage. What's on your dwelling? This is pretty simple. This is your dwelling. What are you living in? And it's anything attached to your dwelling. Now think about the things that are attached inside your house. There's cabinets. There's carpet. There's maybe hardwood flooring. There's maybe a handrail. So all of these things, there's a shower door. All of these things are now attached to your house. So that's part of your dwelling. So you want to look at what it would cost to rebuild your house. Now, a lot of times people get a lot of things confused on homeowner's insurance, and this is one of the biggies. So I hope you're paying attention because this one, if you get anything out of the podcast today, this is probably the most important thing. You're insuring the cost to rebuild your home as it is. The objective is for an insurance company to make you whole again in the same state you were before you had the claim. Now, they are not paying you to go out on the market and buy a new home. They are not paying you to go buy the house down the street. Rebuilding cost or replacement cost is actually some of the most expensive because an insurance company has to go in if you'd have a fire, tear out the part that's damaged, and build new part into the old part. That can be very expensive. Whereas you might be able to go down the street and buy a house from your neighbor that is less money. So you don't want to look at your insurance policy and say, well, I have a half a million dollars on my house. I'm insuring this way too much because the house down the street just sold for 400000 What a house sells for is called market value. It's irrelevant relating to your homeowner's insurance. It means nothing. What you need to worry about is what would it cost to rebuild my home the way it is. And remember, tearing down and removing a house can be expensive. I've seen some tear down and removals that are $10,000. i have seen some as high as $50,000. So it just depends, and they can go upwards beyond that. That's all part of your dwelling coverage. So to rebuild your house is what amounts under your dwelling. And you want to make sure you have replacement cost. Now, there's a condition. Replacement cost means that the insurance company has to give you 100% of the money it takes to rebuild your house. One of the things the insurance industry has started doing over the last 20 years is putting a cap on that. So if I'm insuring that house for half a million, but it actually costs $600,000 to rebuild it, because I have that replacement cost coverage, the insurance company has to pay me that extra $100,000 and rebuild my house for $600,000. So what they've started to do is put a cap. Say, okay, Jeff, you're carrying $500,000 on your house. We're only going to provide you 125% of whatever you're insuring your house for. So that half a million dollar house, I could have an extra 125000 But if I go over six twenty-five, dollars bam, I'm out of insurance coverage. Now, not all companies have that cap. You want to read your policy. If you don't know it, call your insurance agent and ask. 
other thing you're going to do is you can't have a half a million dollar house and add an addition onto your home and not tell the insurance company. That's a violation of the insurance contract that you signed when you signed the application. You promised them in the fine print that you're going to let them know if there was a condition or an improvement to the home. If you did that, you're not going to have coverage for that part that you just improved onto your home. Real life example, had a client that had a wonderful home, had a complete total fire attached to two-car garage. However, about two years before, they enclosed the two-car attached garage and built a nice detached garage. So they took what was garage space and made it finished living space, up the replacement cost of their home. Never told our insurance agency. Fortunately, we had sent a letter every year asking them to come in and review their policy or call us on the phone. They do what 90% of the public does. They ignore those letters. I don't need to do anything. Guess what, people? You need to call your insurance agent at least every other year, if not every year. Take that 15, 20 minutes and review your insurance coverage. Make sure that something's not missing. Highly recommend that. Take advantage. That's what you're paying your agent for. That's why they're there. First thing out of our client's mouth when the insurance adjuster meets them on the job site, first thing after, hello, how are you? They sent us a letter about this every year and we never called. We know we have a problem because we're underinsured and that's on us. Now, that's a rare individual to actually admit fault right today, but at least they're honest and upstanding that did that. So that's on you, the consumer. You're the one that needs to contact your insurance agent and say, hey, is this sufficient? So at a yearly basis, you should do it at the very least every other year or if something changes on your house, you need to let them know. All right, so that's dwelling coverage on your homeowner's insurance. There's also something called contents. Contents is pretty simple. If you're going to move out of your house, what are you going to take with you? That's the simplified version of contents. But contents is basically anything not attached to the house. A throw rug is a content. The wall-to-wall carpeting is part of the dwelling. So anything that think that you would move out and take with you is part of your contents. Generally, most people carry replacement cost on their contents. You should check. That's been around 30 years. I would think the vast majority of the public are carrying that coverage. If you don't have that, you want to make sure it's included. And what that means is if the chair I'm sitting in burns in a fire and say this chair costs me $1,000 new to replace, but it's only worth 100 bucks, the insurance company has to pay me the $1,000 to replace that brand new. It's replacement cost with no depreciation. If you don't have replacement cost on your contents, they're going to depreciate everything, which means you're not going to get much money for your contents. All right, so that's contents. Next thing you have is you will see other structures. Other structures is exactly what it means. A structure on your property other than the dwelling. So if you have a detached garage, yard shed, pool house, she shed, (laughs) that's covered as an other structure. Now, Here's something you want to pay very close attention to. If I have a detached garage and I have a roof because I don't want to walk outside to get in my house when it's raining, I have a roof that connects the two. That is no longer an other structure. That's connected to my dwelling, so that needs to be covered under my dwelling coverage. I know in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's my detached garage. But if it's connected or it's actually touching, it's all part of your dwelling. So remember that on other structures. Many times 
you don't have another structure and you say, Jeff, oh, I don't need that. I don't want to take it. It's packaged already into the insurance policy. Most companies, you don't save anything by removing that coverage. Last coverage we're going to talk about on the property side is something called loss of use. What that means is, Lord forbid you have that house fire, you need to go live somewhere else. So this gives you the money to go rent an apartment and go live somewhere else while they're rebuilding your home. That's loss of use. And most insurance companies had a dollar amount. Most of them now have gone to a one-year time frame. So whatever you need to live in for the next year. And they have to make it something equivalent to where you live now. So keep that in mind. It's got to be something of like kind and quality. If you live in a half a million dollar house, they can't force you into one bedroom efficiency apartment in someone's basement. Now, liability coverage. You do have liability coverage on your homeowners, and it covers more than just someone getting injured on your property. Liability coverage also covers you if an act, give an example, if I'm on the golf course and I'm negligent and hit a golf ball into a group of people and injure them, okay, if I'm deemed negligent, my liability for my homeowners actually could potentially cover me for that act. If I'm in a grocery store and I'm going a little too fast around the grocery store, pushing a cart, and there's an elderly around the corner in a walker, and I don't pay attention, and wham, I nail her, knock her down, and break her hip, that's going to potentially come from my liability insurance. So it's not just people that come onto your property. Obviously, if I have guests over and someone's injured, yep, I'm responsible for that potentially. So that's covered under your liability. Today, I wouldn't carry less than a half a million. If you have a swimming pool, I'd have at least a million dollars worth of liability coverage. So the other type of liability coverage, there's something called medical payments. And this is think is not at fault. You might see this on your policy, like $1,000 or $5,000. Medical payments is if I come to visit you and by my own stupidity, I trip on the front step and fall flat on my face in your foyer and break my nose. You weren't negligent. There wasn't anything you did. Everything was clear. There weren't any obstacles in my way. It was just my own stupidity, my own lack of coordination. So what happens is your medical payments coverage from your homeowners could help pay my bills because you want to take care of guests that are coming over. You're not liable, but you might have $1,000 or $5,000. There's not a lot of coverage that's provided there because it's just meant to be kind of a courtesy. So that is property and liability insurance on a homeowner's in a nutshell. One thing you want to keep in mind, there are some limitations on your homeowner's policy that oftentimes will trap people. Number one, if you are doing any type of business pursuits, if I'm running a body shop out of my detached garage and detached garage burns down, there's very little coverage, if any, on that detached garage. A homeowner's policy is not a business insurance policy. If you're doing something to make money on your home property, you better tell your insurance agent and make sure that you're covered properly. Okay, they'll tell you what is and isn't covered. So you want to make sure you address that. It's vitally important. It's even more important from a liability perspective. And we have seen these cases. If I'm there doing bicycle repair and a neighborhood kid comes and I repair their bicycle and they go down the street and I did something wrong with fixing their brakes and they had no brakes and went off the road and broke their arm, that claim, that negligence that I had by repairing their bike and not doing it properly is not going to be covered from my homeowner's policy because the kid paid me. I'm in business to do that. 
So you got to make sure if you're doing any kind of pursuits, making any kind of money, and it doesn't have to be money. If you're trading favors for someone, you're doing something for someone and you're getting some benefit from it, that also could potentially not be covered under liability claims. You want to make sure you talk to your insurance agent before you do anything like that. Obviously, things like operating snowmobiles, motorcycles, bicycles, again, all that, you should talk to your insurance agent and make sure you have that covered appropriately. Now, last type of insurance coverage we're going to talk about for you personally is an umbrella policy. Many people call it an umbrella. And the reason it's an umbrella is imagine your auto and home insurance policy side by side. This acts as an umbrella over top of those policies gives you an additional level of liability insurance. Highly, highly recommend everyone, if you own a car and you own a house, I almost don't care what your income is, you need to buy an umbrella policy. Usually they come in million dollar increments. I'd have at least a million dollars. Maybe you should carry higher, but you should at very least cover a million dollars. And the reason for that is if I'm in an auto accident, And that car I rear-ended earlier, that example, and those four people were injured so severely, I used up my half a million dollars coverage, I could have another million over top of that kick-in. So, and the insurance company, when you have an umbrella policy, is legally obligated to defend you and represent you. So in some ways, think of it as cheap, prepaid legal program for a car accident. It's not, not meant to replace a prepaid legal program, but it's somewhat like that. So have a umbrella policy. And I often tell people, again, my philosophy of insurance is you shouldn't be insurance poor. You shouldn't be buying insurance just for the sake of buying insurance. You use insurance to protect you against what I call the low-frequency catastrophic events. You don't protect yourself against the high-frequency non-catastrophic events. If you break a windshield and you have to pay $400, that's not what I think insurance is for. That's why you need to carry that $1,000 deductible. But if you're in an auto accident and you don't have an umbrella, that extra million dollars of coverage could be the difference between you making payments for the rest of your life or losing the equity in your home. Sometimes I hear stories, people say, oh, that doesn't really happen. People don't have to make payments and lose their equity. Au contraire, I know of an example where an individual was going around a corner in their vehicle, was not paying attention, pedestrian in a crosswalk, legally has the right of way, the car, right rear tire, pinched the pedestrian's foot and ankle between the tire and the curb. Crushed the foot, crushed the ankle. Person had to have numerous surgeries to repair and recover. Beyond the obvious of pain and suffering the individual had, the individual is also a bus driver for their occupation. They couldn't operate a bus for three years. So what happened is they only had $50,000 coverage. That was enough for the medical bills, barely, but it didn't touch the lost wages that this person had. It had another $35,000 to $40,000 in lost wages for the next three years. So the individual's at fault had to take the equity out of their home because the person who was the victim got a lawyer, did a property search, found out how much they owed on their house and what it was worth and knew they had the equity. So in the court, they won the judgment. Frankly, they were probably lucky. That's all they had to pay out. So these things do happen. So the way you pay for this is 
carry higher deductibles. Don't pay more for your insurance just because Jeff is saying buy an umbrella policy. Raise your deductibles on your auto and home. Those high frequency, low catastrophic events are not important. What we're trying to guard against is the rare thing that happens, but could be the biggie, and it could really financially devastate you. I just believe insurance is for the big items, not for the little things. So you want to carry a higher deductible and absorb that yourself. So that's some food for thought. Hopefully you've gained a little bit of knowledge here about auto home and umbrella insurance from an objective perspective. This topic, we're going to give a little bit more description in future podcasts about the different types of life insurance and the different types of annuities. I know we have an awful lot of questions and confusion sometimes from customers, so we're going to delve a little bit into that. Certainly, again, none of this is a recommendation to buy or sell anything or buy a particular type of product, but hopefully this is giving you something to think about today. The big takeaway you need is call your insurance agent and do a review of your insurance policies. So in absence of that, going to let you go today. I hope you had a wonderful day. I hope your 2021 has started off grand. It's certainly challenging times, but look, better times are ahead. And if you have ideas for future podcast content, feel free to email me at podcast at plantoretire.com. And that's plan, the number two, retire.com, podcast at plantoretire.com. Always willing to take your suggestions. And lastly, remember what I always say, if you're not doing the planning for you, Someone else is doing it for you. Thank you for tuning into the Plan to Retire podcast. Head on over to plantoretire.com. That's the number two. So plan the number two, retire.com. To learn more, schedule a no obligation introductory phone call or to subscribe to this free podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. We'll see you next time on the Plan to Retire podcast.